0: I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dude, so uh, what is going on, Chris? I have to ask. The first, the first thing I have to bring up is because I know you and I share a love for video games. I'm curious what you've been playing lately, if anything. Zach, I have been in the longest drought because, like, so
1: many of I'm a triple A like shooter kind of guy for the most part, and like most of the games that everyone promised me just haven't come out on time. So, oh yeah, um, I'm I'm really I'm down in the dumps. So. We've, my friends and I have been playing this really weird kind of mix of a little bit of Rainbow Six Siege, uh, which I've played since it launched, um, a little bit of COD Zombies, specifically zombies, not plain old COD. Nice. Um, Fortnite a tiny bit, except that what we learned is that, like, we can only do so well and then the sweaties kill us so we have to go back to the, <laughs> you know, back to the dump. And then um, uh, we're just all waiting around for Battlefield, the new Battlefield game. So I was
0: about to ask because there's some good shooters coming out. Like Call of Duty just came out. Battlefield, Halo is coming out. Yes. Like, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. I'm pretty stoked about Halo. So did you I see sure. uh did you see the game Back for Blood? Have you seen that one yet? Yes, we played a bunch of that. Yeah. You know, for a while, Zach, we were going
1: between five different games that had zombies in them, because <laughs> you know Fortnite had a seasonal zombie event. Uh, cod we were playing zombies we go from back for blood to cod zombies to Fortnite to uh, there's another two in there um and we just one of us realized you know what do we have some weird obsession with zombies but it's just what's going on
0: well they get it's funny because in the gaming community they kind of get with a lot of hardcore gamers and stuff the zombie stuff gets kind of i don't know just people people act like they're tired of it but these companies keep doing it and it they it keeps working so right <laughs> you know
1: Well, I guess because we play shooters to like, you know, really fight against other humans, we use the zombies as kind of our version of a chill game. So we're like, you know, it's easy to pop a bunch of zombies in the noggin from a distance compared to like real humans with real skills.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's doing It's It's kind of, it's funny. It's kind of the same thing, writing that stuff, like writing zombie fictions kind of the same way. Like I don't, I don't feel as bad when I, you know, I'm cutting off the heads of zombies with a machete, like I was doing before we started chatting actually. So I'm at this part of my book that has a huge zombie fight in it. So I'm, I'm, it's funny. I'm like fresh in that mindset right now. So, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I had to ask you because I know you're you're a big gamer like me. Are you mostly playing on PC or console? Or
1: I'm a console guy. That's I have what the I new thought. Yeah. Xbox S, you know, whatever the other words are that go with that. But <laughs> I have the, the next gen smaller Xbox. Yeah, and, I have that one. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. I, I you know I don't foresee myself. Want, I mean, if I went to PC, I'm never going to write another book in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> they just have the best games over there. And like my friends all play these like incredible strategy games. And I just know if I did that, I mean, I haven't written a commercial book uh, since I've put a new Xbox in my house, which is what oh, I wow. told people would happen. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, I don't have people think I'm like super disciplined, but boy, am I not. So I have to unplug this bad boy if I want to actually write a book again.
0: Yeah. It's tough, man. Having that discipline is hard. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a big gamer and I've got, uh, you know, I have PS five, I have the Xbox series S I play my switch all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, but you you just, you have to, it's tough, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 but the thing is too, I mean, you know, this, like it, it doesn't have to be just video games that can distract you. I mean, sometimes working from home, I'm like, I'll, I'll get distracted by, oh, I think I I should go empty the dishwasher or something like that, you know? So it yep. could be anything.
1: It's there's there's a million reasons why not to write.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exa- You're exactly right. I mean, it's when when Stephen Pressfield talked about resistance, it is so true. I mean, it's uh, and I I, I I can't remember who said this, but someone had said, um, write um, writing sucks, but having written is amazing, or something like that, and that's true. Right like sitting down and doing it is people think, oh, like you're just sitting down writing. It's like, no, it's actually pretty difficult. It's, it's a hard thing to want to do, you know? And it's, but I've, I've learned like for me, and I'd be curious kind of what, what you do, but you know, for me, it's just about trying to have a consistent schedule and just making sure I have my ass in the chair as much as I can.
1: But that's about it. I mean, I don't, so schedule wise, the way I work any of my schedules, is is not a specific time of day, it's a certain allotment of time. Like if I say I'm going to do 2500 words, then that's how I go after that. Because, you know, my days are all over the place. I have a team that I work with in Zurich for one of my projects, I've got a a whole bunch of West Coast US people. So I've got like the whole clock uh, for time. As far as, you know, I, I, I could run into somebody that I can't, you know, like I can't stick, I can't pick an hour anywhere in the day that won't be like attacked by something. Yeah. Um, so I just I just work on the 2,500 words a day. Um, and that to me has served me pretty well. I, I went through a, a slump where I was just, I mean, I write business books and I was just like, man, nobody needs anything. Everything's good. Like we're just business books are done. And it's almost like, like when you said that you're working on a zombie book, I was like, I wonder what is left to do with a zombie book. Like what what makes you... <laughs> what makes you say I've got another angle on this or what makes you say this is a twist that people don't get?
0: Yeah, it's hard, man. Like, so, cause when I, so after I finished my empty body series, I kind of told myself, I wasn't going to write zombies ever again. And then mm-hmm. I was in the shower one day and I just had this idea. I just got done. Um, I just got done watching the Punisher TV series on Netflix. And I was like, how cool would it be to have a guy like that in a zombie world? And, and so I was basically, my idea was I'm going to mix the Punisher with the walking dead, which is ironic because John Bernthal was in both shows. That's right. (laughs) But that was kind of my idea. And it basically just became like this um, story about this tortured guy who lost his family, who, goes around just like bashing the brains into of zombies, hoping that, you know, one of them eventually will kill him. And then he meets people that give him hope for humanity and stuff. And that's become dead South, which I'm, I'm on, I'm writing book five and it's going to be a nine book series. Um, wow. But the thing is like, and I think it's the same thing with business books. Like there are people who, like most of my readers will just devour anything zombie and they almost don't even care if there's anything new to say to it. They just love zombie stuff. Right. And I think, and, and, and I think you could say the same thing about business. There's people who just love business books, but beyond that, they probably like business books from you and, and your voice and the spin that you give on it. Just like with me. I mean, I know I have people who like my zombie stuff more than uh, I'll call out like my buddy, T.W. Piper Brook, who writes, maybe they like my stuff more than his. But, you know, it's, yeah, TW get good. <laughs> he is good. He's he's he, he's ex, he's he's uh, a he's doing better in the genre than I am. So I'm, but I got right. So <laughs> Come on, Zach, catch up. I'm <laughs> trying. I'm trying. I was texting him a little bit ago, actually. And uh, yeah, we pick on each other about that all the time. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's something to say about that. Like people want to hear Chris Brogan's voice, though, in business stuff. So but it's easy to get in those slumps, too, and th- and and have that imposter syndrome and think that which we all get no matter
1: how many books you've written either you know i mean you've got that stack of books behind you but every now and again you must look around and go man i'm a chump and then you know you take you find your way back to feeling it it's i don't think anyone's immune to it i don't think stephen king's immune to it. no i bet he sits around in front of his computer every now and again going i'm an idiot and like you just wants to go and
0: you know play in a band instead (laughs) it's true though like i you know i do uh the writers inc podcast um me and jay do that with jd barker and mm-hmm. uh, and jd's talked about that and jd is like he's co-writing with james patterson he wow. he co-wrote an official prequel to dracula with dacre stoker who's the great grandnephew of brahm stoker like jd has all these movie deals in the works and stuff but he still gets that like he still feels mm-hmm. the same way you know even with all the stuff and cool things he's able to do so you yeah. know yeah It's just, yeah. We're like, you said, none of us are immune to it. So Nope. So, so dude, like, so we were kind of saying before we came on, it's been a while since we've talked. I mean, you and I have known each other now since I was trying to figure that out before 2012, 13, somewhere in there, I think we started chatting and that uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Cause I know that was around the time when I was really into the, the health stuff and I was like working on being a trainer and we'd done stuff together back then. Um, but, uh, but part of, I guess, one of the cons for me of not being on social media is because I, I don't know if you know, but I, I haven't been on social media for like three years now is uh, I, I keep I lose track of people like you who are on there all the time. So, like, you know, I, uh, I I went to do a little bit of research on what you've been doing and stuff for the show. But then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ask him. I know Chris well enough. <laughs> and, and so, dude, like what's been going on? Like, what have you been working on?
1: Well, man, I
0: mean somebody made this point the other day
1: and I, I, I joked back and it's true though uh, I change up what I do about once a year anyway like I learned that from Madonna way back when a uh, true blue album she said I change myself once a year no matter if I need it or not and in a lot of ways that's what I do with my business I just would try new things and um, last five years weren't my best years I you know business-wise just nothing was hitting right I was just grinding out, losing the revenue left and right, losing all my savings and all my reserves and getting the tank down to zero. So when I started to realize, oh gosh, I have no money at all was uh, February, 2020, which you might recall uh, was when we first learned about what could be the real first zombie apocalypse, you yeah. know, and, and, and how every book that's been written to this date would presume that, you know, we would do all the things in the best interest to humanity. And now we realize that's not really true. So uh, COVID came, I realized I had $253.25 in my account. And that was it, like all my money, period. No, wow. no savings, no hidden nothing, just $250. Um, and I called my ex-wife uh, to whom I owe things like child support and uh, 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 alimony, all that stuff you pay exes. And I said, uh, I'm in a tough pickle here. Like we're gonna, You're going to have to be with me on this because I got to figure out what we're going to do. So I called her landlord, I called all these people and said, I'm broke, I gotta figure this out. And almost every single, maybe every single person said, okay, cool. Thanks for letting us know, You know, we'll work on it together. And uh, so I started hustling for any old job I could get uh, all through 2020. And it was, none of it was fun. All of it was just grindy work. It was just like, you know, bill paying. I always call it hooker work, you know, because it's like, you know, who do I gotta sleep with around here to get a check? <laughs> And I did it. And, and, and But but here's the here's the saving grace of the story is the only reason I want to tell you that the awful part is that at the very beginning of the pandemic, I also realized, man, I'm not going to get on any stages to do public speaking for a while because that's uh, shut off. You know, flights are shut off, big rooms full of people are shut off, et cetera, et cetera. I better launch a video and I'll just do a live video uh, every day and uh, connect with people just however I can. So I started with a show that I called Point of Contact. I turned that into a show called Catch Up, which is like what we're doing right now, just catching up. And then I turned that into a show called The Backpack Show, which uh, was a little more formatted and had the idea of success insights for unusual people. And what happened was in that process, I convinced LinkedIn to give me a LinkedIn Live account, which they don't like to give to people, it turns out. that was the magic trick, Zach. What happened was, People started seeing, hey, Chris Brogan's going live. Hey, Chris Brogan's going live. And I I don't even think they cared what the show was. They just kept seeing my name. And I was top of mind to people. Yeah. And so come January 2021, I have a guy that I'm an advisor in his company, but I haven't advised him in years, you know, probably since we talked last. And he said, oh, my gosh, Brogan would be the right guy for this job. It was the right time, right moment. Saw my name because LinkedIn Live. I went, oh, my gosh, I should call Brogan. Calls me. And I have been nothing but roses and glory ever since. You know, 2021, I left, I haven't done a marketing or social media or anything kind of project since 2020. Uh, All I'm doing is executive leadership work with this corporation. So I'm working with the CEO and anybody with a C in their title and boards of directors and all this big old high end of company work. And it's the most exciting, rewarding, fun like it could sound so boring if you're not a corporate person but it's really people person stuff zach so i'm i'm i'm, I'm teaching people how to present better i'm writing every day uh, you know i make presentations and all that where in which there's a narrative when there's an arc and there's you know teaching people how to you know kill their babies so that there's you know not too many words on a, on a presentation it's, it's all the stuff you learn in writing and storytelling which this is just a circle this all back and make it more weird I tried the heck out of selling at the very beginning of 2020, I said, I'm going to sell storytelling techniques and st- and ideas about story for businesses. And I might as well put a big smelly wet fart on everyone's face because no one bought everyone. Said, <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. I don't even like you. And next thing you know, that is what I do full time is help people uh, tell their business story to business people inside of this corporation. So
0: it's been a lot of that's fun. That's so fun. <laughs> that's, that's so like, what do you, where do you think? Um, not to get too much in the weeds, but I mean, where do you think the disconnect was when you tried to talk about that before? Well, it, it's, it's
1: probably what you would imagine right out of the gate, which is that you hear the word like storytelling. I mean, I do this now, like I'll get a, I'll get a pitch for somebody into this company that I'm doing the work with. And I'll be like, I don't want that. And, and it, you know, because it sounds like unicorn and rainbow stuff. And so when they hear storytelling, they're thinking in their head, ah, oh, this isn't anything any real company wants, but you know, it is once you realize that like, for instance, with the board of directors, the way a board of directors works is you do these quarterly meetings with them and you, you give them a presentation, a couple hours long. And in that presentation, you kind of show them where we are, where we're headed. And then we say, what do you need to know? What other questions you have? What kind of thing? Well, the way a lot of people put their material together for that, where we uh, where we've been, they stuff it like they're trying to do the most important, um, uh, the most important book report of their lives. So they put as many words as they can on a slide. It, it's totally unmemorable. And so I said to people, "What if I could help you?" ensure that the board remembers the three things you most want them to remember when they leave the room. Would that be valuable to you? Would it be valuable that they know the thing you most need them to think about for the next three months? And they were like, yeah, and I was like, great. Cause that's how we're going to do this. And that's how it worked. It was, it was, it was pure practicality. I had to show them practicality.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because like it feels like more than ever, like part, part of the reason that I asked was because it feels like more than ever that people are realizing how important your story is, like, especially in business, you know, it's kind of the thing that, you know, set, like, I'll give you an example, part of the my favorite coffee shop I go to locally, um, I go to this amazing coffee shop and um, she, the, the owner came she's Venezuelan she moved to America seven years ago with like 12 bucks in her pocket you know the whole uh the the whole Dwayne Johnson story um and she was working in a warehouse and basically came with the idea of wanting to open her own coffee shop and did so in 2018 made it through the pandemic is growing you know and she's uh she's an immigrant uh, she is a lesbian, like she has all these awesome, she's a woman, like she has all these things working against her and, but that's her story, you know? Right. And, and she's found, she's found really cool ways to incorporate that into her brand and people care about that stuff, you know? And, and, and I'm way more likely to go there and get a cup of coffee from her than I am, you know, one of the big boys or even somewhere down the street, some other place, you know? Um, Cause I just, it's, it's amazing what she's done, you know, people want to go where they belong. So
1: that's definitely how it works in, in, you know, retail business and consumer business. We want to go where we feel like we belong in, in big companies in in business to business or software and that sort of a thing. It's also like that, but it's, it's that, you know, well, uh, one example, what one of the fellows, he was presenting something, he's investing in uh, growth technology for the company. So, Instead of just plain old marketing and plain old, you know, we're going to send out some emails and hope someone buys. He's doing some stuff to make sure that the software that we sell is way more intuitive to install and way more intuitive to get launched. And what they did was they basically made this like, it's almost, it almost looks like if you were writing a story plot for a book, but it's like instrumented, like if this is the first 20 steps of using this software, how did it go? And literally smiley face, medium kind of face and frowny face. And like, where did you get stuck? Where did it not work? What what sucks about this process? And then you just chip away at, you know, one of those 20 steps until there's all smiley faces. This seems so silly until you realize that what those smiley faces equal up to is someone taking a really complicated piece of software and feeling like they can put it together easy and then do their own business thing with it without any interference from anybody else or without that sense of, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this. I don't know how many times in my life you buy something and then realize you're too dumb to use it. Um, (laughs) You know, like Ulysses or something like that. And you're like, Oh man, I don't even know what I'm doing. So, um, I had to help him explain to a board of directors why these smiley faces were worth gazillions of dollars. And, Turned out it wasn't that hard. And in fact, it turned out that it's like a picture's worth a thousand words. I show you the before and after of a bunch of frowny faces and smiley faces, and then I say, this right here calculates to about $2.8 million, just that. Just that work gave us $2.8 million more because people were able to do whatever, right? And so um, to me, it's no different than thinking of how do you make a, a fun plot in a fiction story because it's the same thing. What do we want when we read a good fiction story? We want that re- delicious reward of we've gone through this arc and it better pay off. And I hope it pays off. And I hope my character lives. And I hope, you know, we have all those things that we're looking for. What's well, the same in business, I think. You know, we have to, the board wants to hear the certain thing. The person presenting wants to feel smart. The people in the room want to feel like they got what was just said you know, it's, it's all incentives, right? It's what's, what's fiction about it's answering the question. What do you want? Well, same thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like when I'm, when I'm telling a story, you know, every scene has to have conflict and then has to have a choice and a consequence. And a lot of what we do as fiction authors is you're, you know, introducing a problem, which we obviously make up, but then you're having to solve that problem, you know? And, and that's, basically what business, a a lot of what business is as well, you know? Um, Yeah. Even when you look at, you know, what are, you look at nonfiction books or you look at products or whatever, you know, usually you're trying to solve some sort of problem, you know, there's a conflict and then there's a choice and a consequence in there. It's the same thing. So.
1: There's a, there's some really great examples of that in fiction that make me laugh a lot. One example is in the MCU, um, the Marvel movies uh in iron man i think it was three they took the uh they took the the out of tony stark's chest and at the very end of the movie and i remember someone asking the question what like there's another avengers movie coming up what are you gonna what and uh he said i don't care i finished my movie let someone else figure out how to write their way into that <laughs> and i thought what an ass in yeah. the best exciting way like imagine being a writer
0: on Avengers and going, "Ah, now what do I do? You got to figure it out. (laughs) I mean, I I mean, that's, that's a lot of what happens, you know? I mean, a lot of writing, um, like even with what I'm working now, like I have a pretty good idea how my series is going to end, but I don't know how I'm getting there necessarily, you know, from book to book. So it's, it's, it's very, yeah. It's, but that's part of the fun to me. Part of the fun is figuring that stuff out, like painting myself into corners, and then and then getting out of them—that's like half the fun about being being an author, especially writing, you know, speculative fiction and, and more thriller type stuff. Is is dude, that's half the fun, <laughs> you know. you, I'm with you. I, I I watched the movie World War Z more
1: than humans should watch it, <laughs> um, and and I loved the book too. The book's great. Yeah, um, but I watched the movie a real lot because there's just certain moments where I'm just like really like the the grenade on the airplane coming out of Israel. And I'm like, you know, what were they thinking in that part of writing that story? Like just how easy is it going to be for Brad Pitt to
0: survive a plane crash? You know,
1: <laughs> like, what's fun- what are we
0: going to do? Rafi? Here's what's funny is like writing the apocalyptic fiction, you know, you like you can, there's certain things you can't mess up. And I, every genre has this, but like, yes. I know that, you know, if I, I can have all these zombies running around, have all this stuff going on that likely will never happen. But then if I have uh, a character, let's say, um, I put a safety on a Glock, you know, but a Glock doesn't have a safety on it, but I mess that up. Or, you know, if I have a character two years into apocalypse getting gas, you know, you I'll get reviews, well, you know, gas doesn't last six months past, you know, it expires and I'm like, Man, suspend your disbelief a little bit. Like there's zombies running around. <laughs> you know, it's so funny what people what people get picky about. And they hang right on it, dude. They do. They especially the the prepper people, like in my genre. So, but so you like? It sounds like what you're doing now, though. I mean, I, I know you kind of said you change what you're doing and you reinvent yourself. You know, every year or so. But I mean, this sounds like. I mean, that's the stuff you were kind of doing a while back, right? That you really enjoy doing is the is really the consulting work, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I say I reinvent myself, I mean it's always you squint and you'll see the thread; it's all there. Um, it's it's I feel like I, I feel like the times where I don't, the times where I seem, if you were looking at what I was doing, the times where I seem most far afield, it's almost always because I panicked somewhere and I just didn't stick to my guns. Um, I also, I, I spent a lot of my time, I'm, I'm a little contrary as it turns out, Zach. And I spent a lot of time invested so much time trying to disprove certain details. Uh, there's that saying in business that, you know, clothes make the man now, not gender wise. Like that's not, that's not the conversation. It's just, you should dress nice if you're in business. Yeah. And I spent a massive amount of career saying F that I'm going to dress like a big monkey. And you better like me anyway. And you know what I learned is that I could dress any which way I want. But if I dress distinctive enough, but within the parameters of what you'd expect to be at the table, then I don't have to spend calories convincing you that I'm worth it. You just skip over that part. And I went, man, why would I want to spend my time convincing someone I was smart or not when I could get to the part where I just show them I'm smart? You know what I mean? And I I did that by way of like clothing, right? So that's one. So there's so many other examples of this where like um, I I said, multitasking, man, I'm good at multitasking. I can multitask till the cows come home. How hard is this? You know, anybody could do this. And then you know what I learned is that nobody likes to buy ice cream at a gas station. And when I say that, I mean, do one thing and do it really well and have people know you for it. Right? Like if you're, if you're post-APOC guy, then don't write a romance book yeah you know write a post-apoc romance book i you know one of the things i loved about um i can't believe i'm talking marvel twice in one thing uh, uh season three or whatever it was the, um five year one of those guys said something like you know you can call this a whole bunch of superhero movies but it means you're not paying attention he says the winter soldier is a spy movie and yeah it was you know Ant-Man's a caper kind of movie. This one's this. And he said that there's, you know, he goes, we're writing all kinds of movie styles here and it's so much fun. And you're just thinking you're watching superhero movies. Well, you got it wrong. And yeah. I thought that's so smart. So I spent Zach, when you said about reinventing and all them, 2020, when I hit the bottom, when I realized I had no money and I was an idiot and I realized that like all the ways I'd been trying to make my money for the last bunch of years just weren't working. And I was not accepting this. I went back to the ground zero and said, I am going to do everything the way I feel like I really should, instead of with my defiance in mind. You know, I was driving around. It was like putting the parking brake on at every turn. Now, I will give you this analogy twice, though, because uh, I deal with clinical depression. And I always tell people that clinical depression is a lot like driving around with a parking brake on. Everything takes much more work. And when I made that realization that why do I take drugs to fix a mental problem, but employ, but, but like I employ the same mistake in my business and in my execution, I went, what an idiot. Like, I, like I am really, really stacking a deck against me just to see if I can. Well, it's fun in the theory sense of things. And it's kind of fun in a book sense. Like I want to put as many obstacles in front of my guy as I can. Right. That's how books work. Uh, fiction. Um, but it is not how you should work business. Business should be like, what's the quickest, simplest, easiest path to make somebody feel served and satisfied and
0: happy. And can I repeat that? And do I know enough people to keep it going? Nice. Yeah, no, that's so true. You know, and like going, um, just to touch on something we were talking about earlier too. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's interesting. So like, you know, you, you were, you were saying to me, um, you know, if you're a post-apoc writer, right? Post-apoc. And and another thing that happens that's, that's a hard thing I feel like to deal with. And um, you know, Jay and I have talked about this and I I feel like I'm kind of in this place now, like Jay's asked me straight up. He's like, do you ever feel like you're trapped as a zombie writer, you know? And, and it can be hard to break out of that mold. Like once Mm -hmm. you've established yourself as one thing, I just saw this recently actually with, so we, we had the career author summit in September and uh Jeff Goyne spoke. Do you know, Jeff? I do. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought you did. And you know, I had seen Jeff. I, I was, he, I, I was, I went to a thing at a Barnes and Noble, like a small author group, maybe 2018, 2019, something like that, where he was there and like spoke to a small group. And, uh, and that was the guy I was expecting at the summit a couple months ago, but he has completely, gone down a, a, I mean, completely changed his, basically his whole brand. And it was, it was really actually kind of refreshing and cool to see like someone who had established himself as one thing, but then wasn't scared to turn and be like, I'm going to go this direction now, because I, that's what I feel called to do. And that's actually who I am, you know, but it's, uh, I don't know, that's, that's a tough thing that we can get trapped in and um, you know, especially when I, I know that you, you know, you're just a really authentic dude. And I think that, you know, that shows and comes off, you know, and I'm sure it does when you're talking these businesses and stuff, but I don't know, it, it just get, it, it's, it's really easy to get caught up. And I'm curious if that's something like, have you, have you felt that like, where you feel like you're, you know, stuck in this one niche or something like that? I love that question. I love that question. I, I think
1: I I would not have thought I was, I would not have said I was. And instead, what I might say is I think I stuck myself. I caught myself. I glued myself into a bunch of situations where I just kept trying to use, you know, when the the thing about, uh, if you've got a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the things I believe at my core and still believe about tools in the digital world, you know, everybody should be making video. Uh, it, it's amazing that, you know, we're missing this great opportunity to connect and, and, and use this, this really fun, simple tool, right? That's one of those things I always say. Well, that, that could or could not be true, but it turned out I didn't have a way to make a business out of that that was solid enough, but I still kept trying. I'm really good at writing up things like courses and stuff like that. So I built a whole company out of online courses and webinars, and I rode that horse really hard for a while. But then, what's happened over the last bunch of years, and most especially during the pandemic, is everyone's like, "Man, I'm I'm schooled out. I don't want to buy another digital course. I don't want to buy another webinar." And you know what? I didn't want to sell anybody anymore. And so, like, we we threw all that stuff in the trash at my company right now, and um, we just said, "We're just going to do masterminds. Just show up. We'll just talk. We promise it'll be worth your time and your money. And if you don't, just stop paying us. It's great. You know, it's all fine." And that's what we did. And so, for me personally. I glued myself into all of this junk that I'd been doing for the same bunch of years. And I just thought, this is, this is what people want me to do. And I just wasn't having any fun with it. And so I am, I am way back to a whole new, I swung so far that like I won't get invited to any of the conferences I used to speak at unless people just haven't been paying attention to what I'm doing. And I'm going to be okay with that. Cause I think, you know, I'd rather go to leadership conferences And my goal at a leadership conference is instead of giving you some kind of foolproof formula, you know, I'll just give you some of the things that I think might work for you to to ask some questions about and think about and and kind of how does it apply to you, not how does it apply to everybody? Because I don't think there's just one way to anything. And so, you know, I'm kind of toying around with this concept called zero formula, where it's, it's, there's no formula, it's just some frameworks. You know, if we agree on this and if we believe on this, then how you get there's not as big an important deal. Right. And so I figure that's like the solution to all these people saying, if you do this, then this, then this, then you get rich. I, you know, what's, what's rich mean to anybody, you know, rich is a different thing for everybody anyway. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I just heard I'll tell you, this is totally weird. It has nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but it made me think about it. I listened to this billionaire guy. Uh, His name is Dan Pena, and he had this line. He says, whatever you think the highest number you can earn is, is the stealing of what you're possibly going to earn. It's almost like alligators in bathtubs. So if you in your head, Zach, say, well, I'm only going to make 5 million bucks, you know, some years from now, I'll be a $5 million guy. I'll be like, hey, that's pretty good, man, 5 million. He says, what you're not ever going to be is a $10 million guy because you don't accidentally land in 10 million you, you find some way to get to 5 million. Yeah. He, he goes, and that's how your brain works. He goes, I don't know. I don't know how to tell you about it. He goes, but I'm a billionaire. And he goes, and I watched it. And I watched so many people try to tell me how they're going to get to whatever. And guess what? A lot of them got where they said they wanted to go and then couldn't find their way to the next number. And I said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And, and things like that now are more fat, not, not the number part, not how much money anybody wants to make, who yeah. cares? But, but like. The, the way our brains do what they do, and the way we choose to do what we do. You okay? You and I both have something in common. We've published a bunch of books. Yeah. Ninety-six percent of humankind doesn't finish a book, but they all say they wanted to. Yeah. Well, how do we do it? We're not super duper special, Zach. So how do we do it? We just even if you say it's going to sound so boring, I was disciplined. I did the work. I sat down. I finished. I typed until I was done. And
0: then I edited and then I was done, done. And then I sold it that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's so funny too. Cause I was, uh, I recently, I was, I helped a friend of mine, my friend Brittany um, publish her first book and go through the whole process. She did a thing about the town we live in and nice. kind of spotlighting all these local businesses and stuff. And um, she had a book launch party and she introduced me when I was there. Do you know, let me know that I helped her and, uh, you know, when she told everyone I'd published like 35 books, there was like this gasp in the room and it was weird to yes. me. And then because we live day, I live day to day with people who are are doing all this cool stuff who have published books. And I tend to forget, like, not everybody has done that. And, and it does, it takes, it, it's, it's not you and I aren't special, you know, like you said, but we're, we're willing to put in the work. It's just like you and I met, you and I met because You know, basically because I lost a hundred pounds in a year (laughs) and like, I don't, I don't want to say anyone could do that because that's not fair, but like that took a lot of hard work and discipline and it took me sitting down and like thinking about how I was going to get there, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's such a great point you make and the, and the billionaire makes, and again, it's not about money, you know? Like I don't care about making $5 million because I don't live a lifestyle where I need that. <laughs> but, that's right. but, but again, that's not the point, <laughs> you know, but, but time is more important to me than anything. And I, you know, that's, that's what I want to keep more, more than anything else. So, um, ah, there was something else I was going to ask you about and I forgot. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll think of it here in a minute. I did want to say, I did want to uh, ask you a little bit. I know that, uh, you know, you're a big tech geek and, um, and, I think what's interesting, um, like, obviously I mentioned earlier, you know, that I'm not on social media and stuff and, right. and I'm, I'm like, so for me as a parent, so like social media, just in the future of it, I, I try not to let it scare me, <laughs> but, but it really does as a parent. I mean, cause I'm, I, I read all these studies and stuff and I've done a lot of research about you know, anxiety and depression and how it's affecting teenagers and all this stuff. And, you know, for me, it's been a really a breath of fresh air lately that a lot of stuff is coming out of the forefront. You know, we're seeing all this stuff with Facebook now getting exposed stuff that anyone who's been paying attention has known for years now, (laughs) you know, like that there's just a lot of stuff going on. But I guess I say ought to say like, I don't know. And this is kind of a broad question, but we'll see where it takes us. But like, where do you see the future of all that going? All right. So there's a lot in that one. There's um, a, It's a broad question. Yeah, I know, I know for sure.
1: All right. So I'm, by the way, I'm a bit like you. I, I dumped a few of them. I dumped Facebook. I dumped Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn and that's yeah. about it. Um, I, I have nothing to say about Snapchat and I don't like TikTok. Um, well, I don't like TikTok. I already have one weird thing about it. And I don't know if I'm tinfoil hat, but you know, knowing one who you like to talk to, you probably have some tinfoil hatters. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a Chinese social network. So I have that weird feeling like everything I do is going to get broadcast. And yeah. I was like, I mm, feel weird about that one. I'm not yeah. anti-Chinese. I'm anti-Chinese government. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And that's who's got the button. So, um, but I, okay. So, to me, like the parenting side of that is just thousand percent open conversation all the time. You know, you say to your kids, if anyone's ever you know taking smacks at you or whatever, you know, bring it up to me. We got to talk about it. Like it's not okay to hide it, or you know, we're not gonna like batten down the hatches. I just want to be on your side. I want I want to hear it, and I want to, you know, make you feel better. Um, you say to your kids all the time, one thing that social media does that didn't ex- didn't happen before was like, if you got an argument with some kid at school, well, then you'd go home and you'd be away from that kid for a while. And you could think about some stuff, whereas it stays and it amplifies and whatever, and you can't escape the person sometimes. And that makes it harder because sometimes all you really need is just a breath. And sometimes they're just keep the the ball going on whatever social network. Um, The other thing that happens is that people can make up a lot more stuff, you know, or worse, it could be true you could be into something that's not the norm. And you know, my, my 15 year old son's into stuff that is not mainstream. And uh, he, he was, he was confiding in this with a couple of kids at his school and they turned on him with it. And they like went and told the whole school. And I said, I got to tell you the only way you can defend against this is just to be like, yep, I'm into that. And you know what, you know what no one can do is attack you when you're straight up on it. yeah, And and, and that's what happened. He's like, yep, I'm super into that. And they were like, Oh, I'm not. He goes, cool. Now is that. And like every now and again, someone will come back and say it again. Like, Oh, you know, but it would be like saying you like chocolate ice cream. And he's like, I do. It's the same thing, you know, doesn't, doesn't infect him. So that's one of the things we did. Where's it going? So people are acting all funny about Facebook, calling themselves meta and how they're changing to the metaverse and all that. And like, if, if we were on video, you know, there's Oculus uh, two behind me. Why? Because I know that there's some there, there. there's this VR stuff, this AR stuff. I, in 18 or 19, 2018 or 2019, I got involved in an AR company for a hot minute, uh, augmented reality, where in which we could do really cool ass things like instead of learning stuff in a dusty back room on a computer, uh, you, we could throw some goggles on or a tablet and help you put together a jet engine on the show floor, you know, on the work floor right in front of you with like digital stuff like Tony Stark, Iron Man stuff. There's three Marvel references. Um, <laughs> Keep them coming. I'm going to see if I can get to five. So um, when they say metaverse, there's a really great book by Neil Stevenson, a, a sci-fi book called Snow Crash. Yep. That's the first you know writing of that. It's not far from the uh, William Gibson cyberpunk stuff. Yeah. And there's some there there that is way more likely to happen than everyone's giving it credit. And all I feel like, Zach, is, man, I've already been through this. People thought the word tweet was stupid. People knew the word blog was stupid. It is stupid. It doesn't matter. We read tweets out on the the evening news and on every sports channel you ever see every day. Every day, there's a blue bird in the background and somebody's tweet on every single screen. So you can say it was stupid, but it's everywhere. And that metaverse stuff, they're walking around with digital avatars. You want to know some kind of interesting things about digital avatars that people didn't believe until the pandemic? Guess what people love? Not wearing pants.
0: Exactly. Um, I was going to bring that up.
1: (laughs) People love not wearing pants. You want to know how not to wear pants? Um, Be an avatar. Uh, Microsoft's version of the metaverse that they just showed off they don't even have legs. Um, And so like, you don't have to wear pants. So there's, there's, there's some interesting things there people with gender uh, stuff going on, people changing gender, deciding, you know, I was born, uh, assigned female at birth. I think I'm non-binary. Those kind of people love avatars because they can be closer to who they are. You and I get this from video games. We've lived most of our life as somebody that we're not, we're master chief for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, and then we go to some game where we can skin our character and, you know, there's the only thing better than a master chief is a pink master chief. Cause as you're killing the other guy, They're like, God, that guy in the pink keeps telling (laughs) me. Even better. So, you know, I think there's there. There, Dolce and Gabbana just tried putting out some digital uh, clothing, and they made nine million bucks just kind of winging it. And um, there's more and more and more of that stuff coming. Um, McCallum just did a cask of whiskey that I forget how much it sold for. Let's say one hundred forty something thousand bucks. It was. It's a digital cask of whiskey. There's no liquor. And somebody paid gazillions of dollars. Now it comes with all kinds of benefits, like free whiskey for some amount of time and blah, 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 blah. But they bought a digital cask of whiskey. That's all you got to say about it. So, you know, where's it going? It's going to some weird places because web 1.0 was, you know, uh, we could post up information anywhere. Web 2.0 was we can do two-way information, like social media. Everyone's a publisher. Web 3, which they dropped the .0, is the Internet of Value, so you can exchange value at a distance, and you can do trust and contracts and all kinds of stuff through blockchain, which you've heard about. and oh, yeah, NFTs and crypto. Well, all of that is all saying the same thing. So anytime you wrinkle in your nose and thinking, "I oh, that stuff stupid," well, it's stupid, but it's changing business right in front of you. And, yeah. and you know, a lot of our artist friends, Zach, we both know so many artist friends who get paid like a hundred bucks a book cover who could put this stuff now up online and get 800,000 bucks, you know? And so for the first time in a million billion years, artists can get paid what they're worth. And, you know, to me, all this value exchange stuff on the web, it's Wild West days, but it's where it's going to go.
0: And and, and I love what you said about, you know, you're talking about, you know, people thought blog was weird, tweeting all that stuff that, you know, I've come to a place where I'm just, I'm not fighting against that stuff anymore. You know, my, my friend Joanna Penn is really into, she talks a lot about blockchain NFTs. A hey, she's really into AI, which is uh, made for some in- interesting debates and arguments between her and Jay. Um, not, not about whether it's happening, but about the, she's, she's very excited about it for the publishing side. And, and Jay is not, <laughs> he'll hate that I even brought that up, but, um, but that stuff is inevitable. Like, I mean, the I'm seeing uh, over the last week or so, the NF going back, I'm going to make another video game reference, going back to video games, you know, NFTs have come into the video game conversation over the last week because um, EA and Ubisoft specifically came out and said that they're looking into it. And then Square Enix came after them. And of course, if you like go through on like the websites I go to like Nintendo life or push square or whatever, that it's just people like oh this this is stupid it's like you could say it's stupid but it's happening and and i'm more interested personally i'm i'm not interested in what a a company like e, ea is going to do with nfts because i i know it's going to be about microtransactions line boxes <laughs> pl- played loot boxes all that kind of crap i'm interested what's going to happen just like in gaming in general, when the Indies get a hold of it and some of the different cool things that they're going to be able to do with the blockchain and with NFTs and and, and all this stuff. But the the fact of the matter is just like AI, just like VR, it is inevitable, you know? It is, it is. Hey,
1: you want a scoop for your uh, brand new podcast? Sure. Um, I am working on an NFT project that will, I mean, when I say working on, I just had the first phone call about a week ago with an art friend of mine. And I said, listen, I don't want to do all these things that everybody else is doing. I don't want to just do like, you know, 25 giraffes with different faces. I think that's, you know, cool, but not that interesting. Um, I said, let's do one project where it's just fun. Let's just so we learn how to do it. And that one, we could do whatever. But I said, here's my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to make an NFT style game where it's fun to play the game. Like the game in and of itself is, is interesting enough, but that one of the primary uh, efforts that you could do in the game It has real world impacts, so you could buy someone a coffee easy enough to understand in the game, though, so you get this extra kind of uh, credits towards a reward system easy enough to get here's where it gets more fun Uh, buy one get one socks with Hanes Um, uh, buy a hotel room for a night for homeless people. Uh, and now these things started adding up. Well, if you remember the way old days, Sears had that Sears List catalog, wishbook oh, yeah.
0: catalog. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure.
1: You Remember how it had like the coolest stuff and you just go and drool over it and-, you and know, circle everything in it. <laughs> I, I want to kiss drum set because that's what I need, <laughs> right? Um, well, so I'm, I'm, I want to make kind of the equivalent of that. And because of things like NFT and because of things like crypto coins, I'll design it on this this network called the Solana Network. That allows you to build NFT games and has a coin built into it so that as you're buying a hotel bed for somebody you don't even know for the night and you've done this great deed, I will translate that much amount of money plus a little bit more into your Sears List collection. And so you can look on there and say, oh my gosh, there's a, a video game cabinet that comes with 600 games in there uh, and I could buy it because I have that many coins now right? So you get the fun of helping somebody, you get the reward of putting something real in your house for doing it. Uh, and there's an in-game kind of, you know, shenanigans. I'm, you know, not, it'd be more like an animal crossing, you know, which was, yeah, that's what therapist. I was thinking about. <laughs> it's, it's everybody's therapist for the last two years, right? You, you, yeah. you have people come over and look at your setup in animal crossing, and go look at my living room. Well, imagine if you said, look at my living room and you point to like a trophy on the wall and say, that's because I bought a hotel bed for somebody or well, that's because you know I, uh, I funded a week of uh, training for a bunch of people uh, in Zimbabwe who wanted to you know, get a Google certification or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah. I wanna make it not G whiz, let's trade art. I wanna make it let's trade uh, favors and, and kindness and that sort of a thing for money, you know, so you can get the reward if you want. Now, by the way, you could also uh, donate your rewards And that turns into things like miles for people or hotel points for people so that if they're dealing with like a relative with surgery or something like that, you could donate to that. So you can, you do just for the purity of your heart or you could do it for
0: the cold, hard 500 game video cabinet. Dude, that's awesome. Like, and see what, this is what's so exciting about new stuff like this is it's, you know, so many people are, are, you know, when they hear NFT, they're instantly thinking about digital trading cards and all that, like Mm -hmm. that's all surface stuff. Uh, It's, when, when people start having out of the box ideas, like, like what you just talked about, you know, um, Jay is, I, I don't know if he's public with it. I, I like, he's got an NFT project going on. Um, Ooh. that is, that is somewhat unique with a book and kind of the way he's approaching it. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause I don't, okay. I, again, I don't matter if he's public with it yet or not. Um, I'm invested in it. <laughs> I definitely, oh, I definitely, I'm, I'm definitely invested in it, but, um, but yeah, I I think the sky's the limit, and a, and a lot of super positive things come out of this, and uh, you know, like what you just talked about. I mean, like well, that's ways you can help people, and basically, yeah, in, in a way that you wouldn't have been able to before. You know? for sure. Yeah, and
1: I I like with that one too. I you know I mentioned things like a hotel bed, but you could just buy some socks that you needed already, or you could just buy a cup of coffee for someone. Yeah, and you still get some reward. So anybody can get into it. That's the other fear, you know, is when we're looking at all this tech, not only is the tech tricky to understand, but it's all money involved, right? So yeah. people are like, oh man, I can you know, I can't help you if you don't have any money. Like, you know, you, I can help you figure out some ways to make some money, but I'll, I'll give you a weird example of that. Gary Vaynerchuk, our, our you know, patron saint of interesting people. He is in the New Inc. magazine at the time we're recording this. And he was at one of the, he, lately I've seen him at all these yard sales on the weekend. I was like, it's kind of weird to be a guy worth that many millions of dollars and he likes yard sales. Well, number one, he likes yard sales, period. Number two, he loves the idea of buying something for a buck and selling it for 800 bucks. Also cool. You know, he just thinks it's the fun game. Number three, once he gets X amount of money, he goes, cool, now I can buy another NFT. And he uses it to show any old average Joe that if you just went around yard sales and, you know, turned that into some eBay money, you can buy your way into some of these things. And you start somewhere, right? You know, there's there's projects out there that, you know, cost 20 bucks or something that maybe are going to be worth 100 bucks in a couple of days. So it's not it's not a rich people sport. No. It, the, the, the ones we hear about in the news are all going to be rich people because that's what we like. We like to hear this guy, you know, he bought it for 3,000. He sold it for 1.2 million. We love stories like that. Yeah. But the the other real story is, is that, you know, your lady who had the coffee shop Imagine if she had some kind of an NFT that was like a loyalty system, Mm -hmm. you know? Imagine that she could have investors without having a bank because of NFTs. You know what I mean? The NFT is way better than an initial public offering because you don't need to file a document with the Securities and Exchange Commission. You don't need to convince NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange or any bank um, of which you must have a minimum of two banks to go public. You don't have to convince anyone. Zach, the other day I needed to take out some money, some cash. And it was a significant amount of cash. And I I called up the bank to say, hey, I don't know if this is a weird question, but I'm gonna come in and I wanna take out a lot of cash. Do you happen to have it just laying around? And they were like, well, I'm glad you called. And then they called me back and said, "Um, out of the four branches that are near me, you have to go to this particular branch. And I was like, that's so weird. Like that money isn't just everywhere in this digital world of ours because I want the real money. I want the actual yeah. technical money. And she goes, and can you get in before two thirty? because I'm off at two thirty, And I'm like, this is tied to one human at <laughs> one bank. Yeah. Right. In the digital world, Zach. And so I was, I was very nonplussed about this. And to me, that's what I think is most interesting about a lot of this new stuff if you said to me right now, hey, I need some money to go do this project, I'd be like, hey, cool, click, click, there's your money. Yep. Because there's so many digital tools for us to push money around the world. It's not, again, it's not, let's get rich. Let's do things our way that we don't have to have a bank to convince that, you know, that, that I could take out my own money, by the way, which I, did. I had to fill out a form to take out my own money, which I oh, also wow. thought was a little mental. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, this will definitely fix all that stuff. And, you know, and I think about it from like a publishing perspective. I know one thing, one thing that has been a fear of authors, it it hasn't been like a big thing, but, you know, has been about like, what if Amazon ever decides to sell used ebooks like so, what if what if you know uh, someone could buy a book on Kindle and then when they're done reading it, they could go on Amazon and sell it. Like, well, then everyone would just buy the used books and they wouldn't buy the author's new copy. But like this type of thing would solve that. Like because I wouldn't care. Like someone could go sell it and I would still be attached to that and still get taken care of. You know, yep. if it was an NFT. So um, yeah, I think it's exciting in a lot of ways, and I think that. Um, you know, kind of the way you're approaching it too. Like, even talking about VR, I know that. Um, you know, I, I read I, I read a book earlier this year called The Future of Feeling. Um, I can't remember the author's name, uh, but uh, but she she talked about in there how these companies are using VR as basically like to teach people to become empathetic. So, right. like, they can put people in a position where you know you're a, a an African American teenager getting pulled over by the police. And show them like what that is like, you know, and, and, uh, or, or put someone in a third world country, you know, and, and show them what it's like to not have, just be able to walk down to Whole Foods and get, you know, your, your organic, uh, carrots or whatever, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like it's, uh, I don't know. It's for all the, for all the negatives out there and for all the things that I am worried about, you know, um, and again, it's happening. So there's no, I, it's a waste of time worrying about it too much, um, then, uh, then it's good. And, and I think what's important for me that, you know, you kind of helped me reiterate too is uh, that you said earlier, I just, with my daughter, and my daughter's seven, so a little, you know, that's why I'm thinking like, man, when she's like 15 or 16, what the hell is social media going to look like? And, uh, but it's just, you said earlier, it's all about just keeping an open dialogue and talking to them and just being a parent and having a conversation. And, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day with that, I think we'll be okay.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you on that one Zach.
0: Wow. What a full circle we did on this whole interview. I think wow, so. Fun. You didn't get your five Marvel references in, but I think that's okay. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs> well, maybe I'll have to do a special what if episode. Maybe yeah. so. <laughs> so dude, uh, as we kind of wrap up, like, uh, Tell people where they can find you on the interweb. Um, I think if you just Google the empty Bodies series, um, (laughs) not that one, I don't, don't send people. I'd rather people read dead South. It's way better. Dead South. Come on. we only (laughs) got three more to go. Um, No, I, I,
1: chrisbrogan.com is fine. I, you know, I have a couple of things going on where like I have newsletters all over the place, like little crazy children. So I have the newsletter on my LinkedIn. Now I have a newsletter that you can get at chrisbrogan.com. And then I've got the one that Twitter gives you called review just stuck in my Twitter. So I guess you must really have to like newsletters if you want to like me. So. <laughs> and you got the right.
0: backpack show going on, right? Which backpack is, show, which is, really is at cool. the backpack So that's fun. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even talk about uh, your, your what book stuff you're working on. Mayo, I have to have you back on at some point. I was going to say, have me back. We'll talk some more. It's been yeah, we'll, fun. We'll, we'll do it, man. So. Awesome. Well, dude, I really appreciate, appreciate you coming on here and since Tommy is awesome to catch up with you. You're the best Zach. Thanks for having me. Dude. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the creator dad podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official creator dad discord community where fellow creator dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors parenting, relationships, music, movies and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator